Hey friends, welcome back to another episode. Guys, this is one of those conversations that I literally did not want it to end. It was so good. And I think so many of you have probably already heard or been following Brooke Taylor. She's also known as Rural Gone Urban. And her journey that two years ago, she had a baby and a cancer diagnosis the same day. And we talk about her journey and about being willing to be vulnerable and share your story on social media and pivoting gracefully in this conversation. It was just, it was so good. So I know that you guys are going to love it. And here is my conversation with Brooke. Brooke, it is such an honor to have you today. I have followed you on social media for so, so long, and I'm so excited for you to get to come on today and just share your journey and your story with our listeners. So to start, would you just kind of introduce yourself for those that don't know you? Tell us just a little bit about you. Sure. Of course, I would love to. I am Brooke Taylor. I am a, I guess, professionally, I'm a small business owner. I work with really fun brands in the food and ag space. But personally, I'm a wife and a mom to a two-year-old. She just turned two. Her name is Elsie James. And I think you might have to clarify here, but I would say if you're a new follower on social media, or if you've been around for the past couple of years, I'm starting to become known as the person who got a cancer and a baby and shared the real, real, because I found that that really wasn't accessible to me when I was diagnosed. And I thought, you know what, why not me? So I am the person currently showing what life looks like when you're living at the light, hopefully at the end of the tunnel. Yes. So I remembered I had followed you, I don't know, probably for like two years before you got your diagnosis. Like I had just followed you as like another, you know, blogger or whatever you want to call it person Mm -hmm. on social media. Like, oh, you know, I like looking at their stuff. And then I remember uh, your wedding photos, like looking at your wedding photos and being like, that is the coolest thing I have ever seen. Like My my Hallmark wedding or our Hallmark wedding. Yes, that was so fun. That was incredible. Like I remember showing my husband, I was like, look at this. This is the coolest thing (laughs) ever. Like, oh, it was so cool. And then like just, you know, watching you kind of on social media. And then it almost feels like, you know, people, you know, when you've followed Mm -hmm. them for a while. And then I remember like, when you had Elsie and it was like, you got the cancer diagnosis. Was it the same day? Yeah. So six hours before she was born. All right. Well, you like (laughs) tell the story of like, what led up to that? What, what led to you finding out the same day? Just kind of that story of how it all started. Of course. So I was a first time heifer, (laughs) um, basically. (laughs) So I'd never been pregnant before. So I didn't know what was or was not normal. And before I became pregnant, um, I met with a doctor who, you know, pointed out that I had fibrous tissue and, you know, maybe there was something here that was concerning, but he didn't seem concerned. Um, I definitely followed up about it and he said, you know, you're young and everything's fine. Then when I was pregnant, I noticed that, Hey, this, this kind of feels a little weird. Um, I brought it up in appointments and I was just told, you know, your mom, your breasts are changing. That's just part of pregnancy. And I said, okay. And I went upon, you know, went on my merry way of, you know, being an entrepreneur and being busy with work. And then it just, it, you know, when you know, like your gut tells you something Mm -hmm. is wrong. And honestly, I think this was my first like mama bear instinct. Like she wasn't even on the outside. I was like, "Mm, something is definitely up. So I brought it up a few more times. It was dismissed. And 
right around that time, my grandfather had been battling cancer. And because of that, he had done some genetic testing. And so while I was very pregnant, I found out he was positive for the BRCA1 gene mutation. And I was like, oh, that's concerning. I remember doing a Google and thinking, oh, that's that it's breast cancer, right? That's weird. And mm. so, but like he didn't have breast cancer, right? It's not related. So um, at my 38 week appointment, I brought it up again. And the medical professional who was in the room with me said, like, she didn't even look at it or anything. Um, she wasn't concerned. And I literally took my shirt off, like big old belly shorts that are barely fitting. I'm 38 weeks pregnant. And I just took my shirt off. By the way, the only like appropriate shirt that wasn't my husband's that like fit at the time, you know, like that we all have that yeah. one shirt at the end of pregnancy. The one shirt. <laughs> <laughs> one shirt. Um, mine was black, a little peplum. And I took my shirt off and I said, I can't leave this room until you, until you feel this. And I saw the the color just drain from her face. And she said, uh, I'll be right back. And so she left. I was like, well, this isn't good, you know? Yeah. And she came back and she said, so you're going to get a call from a breast health specialist. You know, if they don't call you back in the next week or so, you know, give us a call. We'll make sure that, you know, we'll, we're probably just going to be cautious. So I was like, okay, cool. I left and went on my merry way. And they called me within like 15 minutes. I'm driving down the interstate back home and they start asking me this really question. I don't know any, I don't know what I don't know. And they're like, is it red? Is it hot to the touch? I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's July. I'm really pregnant. So like my whole body's hot. I don't know how to tell you if it is hot mm -hmm. to the touch. Maybe, I don't know. And so they said, okay, great. We'll see you at 10 o'clock in the morning. I said tomorrow. Sure. Okay, cool. So, um, I told my best friend, Stephanie, and she said, yeah, I'm going to go with you. Said, okay, good. I guess. I don't know. I don't know why, but I wasn't concerned. I I wasn't. I don't know if I was just blissfully naive. I don't know. Um, yeah. but I'm I waddled into the appointment the next morning and you know this. I'm a I tell ridiculous jokes. So when I get uncomfortable or nervous, I have to make a joke of the situation. That's who I am in real life as mm -hmm. well as on Instagram. That's just I'm just made that way. And I made some jokes and he did not laugh. He laughs at my jokes now, by the way. He's oh. one of my best buddies, but he was not laughing. And they did, he decided to do a biopsy like right then and there in the doctor's office, which I later found out is not normal. He did an ultrasound guided biopsy and he said, you know, I'm going to send this off to the lab. I'm going to, you know, since you're pregnant, I'm probably going to expedite it. Turns out he had the best poker face ever because there was a cyst involved. So I was like, oh, it's probably just a cyst because there was, it was kind of gross. It popped or something. And I went on my merry way. And that weekend, I, you know, I folded baby clothes. I washed baby clothes because I'm 38 weeks pregnant. That's what you do. You nest. And yeah. my husband, he had like a boys weekend, you know, the last boys weekend before the baby comes, I guess. And that sweet man, Dr. Frame, he called me at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. You know, that, that meeting was on a Friday. So Monday, as soon as he could call, he said, Hey, kiddo, it's cancer. And I'm like, mm. Whole world stopped. Like I felt like the room was spinning. I felt like I couldn't breathe and I did not cry on the phone with him. I said, okay. He said, I've already talked to your, your OB. His office is going to give you a call. You're probably going to come in today and we're going to make a plan. I said, okay. He said, don't worry about it. I have, I'm handling everything. He said, I'm your quarterback. I don't know mm. this man from Adam. Like I do not right. know him. I know I have not even Googled him. Like I don't know anything about him. And I just said, okay. And my husband, he stayed home work from work 
that morning just to, so we, he would be home when I got the phone call. I just started crying and he said, just cry. That's all I could say. So it was kind of a really like rom-com funny moment, honestly, like real. I know that's a weird way to describe it, but I like, as a first time mom, my suitcase is already packed. So I was like, we should maybe grab the suitcase just in case. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. He was like, we don't need it. I was like, maybe. And then in all transparency, it's like misting outside, which is weird in July. So it's kind of rainy. And I am so pregnant and I am crying and just like, I'm getting out every cuss word that I've ever not said out loud in my Uh whole life, just like in the driveway. And my husband is laughing at me because I'm sure it's funny. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, man, I just have to get this all out because I do not get to be angry today. Like I'm not angry today. I just need to get it all out. He said, okay. So we like joined in. Like I had to be the most, like, we're just like, like we had Tourette's or something. We were just saying like (laughs) everything. So we have about an hour, 10 drive to the doctor's office because they had called and said, how quickly can you get here? You know, we're about an hour, 15 away. So yeah, sure. Come on in. So we don't know what to expect, but we're like, I was like, maybe we should call our parents. Should we let them know? He's like, I, yeah, we yeah. I mean, this seems like something we should tell people. Right. So as we're calling, I get this number, like I get this phone call from a number I don't know. I feel like I should answer it. It's my OB calling from his personal cell phone. And he says, Hey, so I've talked to Dr. Frame. Our, I think we should have a baby today. Do you want to meet me at the hospital? Like I already have some deliveries today. Do you just want to go on over there? Because we can't do any testing. And your baby is a great weight. You're 38 weeks. Like we we can do this. And he did give me the choice. He said, you know, we can induce labor um, or we could do a C-section. And they just checked my cervix. And I was like, she was still living in my ribs. Like she was not mm. ready to come out. And so I asked, I said, I'm going to like, is this, this is going to take, take like three days? Like, how are you going to evict her when she's not ready? And he said, it could take a while. And I said, I, I think I want this C-section. And he said, I think it's a good mentally healthy choice. And I want to be clear. That's not an easy, you know, this like a C-section. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a big surgery. And yeah. looking back, I think I was in way too much shock to make that decision. Oh, but I yeah. did have, I had a C-section and she arrived around two o'clock that same day. And that is how I got a cancer and a baby. She's healthy. And also I totally just covered this part up. We didn't know that she was a she. We not oh, only you chose, didn't. no, we chose not to tell the internet that I was pregnant. And that's because I work in digital media. And so I thought it would be this like old school beta, just like fun thing mm-hmm. to have you seen the the meme. It's like a little otter. It says, I made this. Yes. I just thought that would be like so funny to be like, Hey guys, I had a baby. I made this. <laughs> yeah, I made this. And so my husband kind of thought he was funny. And so like I, I would go to work conferences or work meetings and show up with this belly and people would look at me like, oh, you're pregnant? Like they'd have yeah. no idea. And I, I, it was so fun to me. It was filled with so much joy. And so not only did people, you know, obviously our friends, family like, knew, but like exterior people on the internet had no idea I was pregnant. Um, but we also didn't know her gender. And so that ended up being the biggest blessing. So all this crazy is going on. And not only is it a blessing to have a baby, also we were like, oh, it's a girl. I kind of thought she was a boy the whole time. So that was really fun for me. So we That's so fun. Yeah. I mean, I definitely recommend that. Um, If you have the willpower, it was really neat. We found out with our first two that like we found out early and they were both boys. And then the third Mm -hmm. one, we're like, let's keep it a surprise. And Mm -hmm. I thought 
it was a boy the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I have really fast labors and um, we live an hour from the hospital. So my third was actually basically born in our car. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) The amount of people that (laughs) saw me naked that day is just unreal. (laughs) Yeah. But um, so like in the parking lot of the hospital, basically, and they're like trying to just get me on a stretcher and like, she's already like out. And then my husband screamed, it's a girl. And I said, no, it's not. And and it, yes, it was a girl. And we, I really thought it was going to be a boy, but now we tell everyone we know, we're like, if you can hold off and Mm -hmm. have it be a surprise, I so regret not being surprised with our first two. Like it was just the coolest thing. And Mm -hmm. anyways, yeah, I, I feel you having that like moment where you're like, Oh my goodness, I thought it was a boy. And here's a girl. Like, right. It was so so cool. Yes. And I feel like it's kind of a, like a, it's fun for me because Elsie is very like, she's such a tomboy. She loves tractors and sand and whatever. I always have conversations like, I'm sorry, she's dirty. I just can't keep her clean. I'm like, (laughs) that's because I knew that like, I knew that's who you were going to, you know, be. I just didn't have it exactly right. So fun. Okay, well, I want to back like way up for a second okay. and talk about, okay, I did not know this part of the story. And when you were talking, saying about how many times you were dismissed by medical professionals, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know that part. Were you like, sure. Oh. So I later found out that in my charts, when they did a follow-up of my dense breast tissue, they had written Dr. Frame's name like in October before I was pregnant. Um, in my charts, but they never had a conversation with me. So I think maybe they thought I should maybe go get an ultrasound, but that was never communicated to me. So it was just an error. But, you know, I wasn't even old enough to get a mammogram that starts around 40. That's just not something that happens. I think that there is this mentality that young women don't get breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I know I don't believe that's true. And I was dismissed. And I really hope that all of the doctors involved or who have heard or they don't make that mistake again. It doesn't take a a lot of time to do a quick ultrasound of someone's breast and see, is that real? Is it not real? Should we be nervous? I think the biggest thing that Dr. Frame has ever told me is we don't wait. That's his big thing. So right after I was diagnosed, I asked him if he would come. My friends were hosting a fundraiser to buy me a real hair wig, which I loved. It looked really Aww. like my real hair and they're expensive. And I was just had a lot of medical bills. So they were like, oh, we're going to do this. It's fun. I let them. So I said, I would only do it if Dr. Frame came and gave like a spill about breast cancer since there would be so many women there. And his big thing was we don't wait. There's no reason to wait and watch. That's ridiculous. Like our health is the most important thing that we have. And that's silly. Don't put it off. Don't wait. So I, that's the big theme here is there's no reason to wait and watch. Absolutely. Right. 0%. Wow. Yeah. That gave me goosebumps that don't wait. <laughs> I feel like yeah. as women a lot, we're just like, oh, let's just, let's just see I'm busy or, you know, I'm sure it's nothing. Right. And it, it doesn't even have to be as big as like getting an ultrasound on your breast. Like how many times this is probably ridiculous, but how many times as women who've been like, Ooh, I don't know why, why is my tooth sensitive? Like I should probably go to the dentist, but you worry about everyone else's appointments first. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Like just silly stuff. Like we have to take care of ourselves so we can take care of all of those people around us. Yes. So true. And it's so hard to do, but I feel like we we just have to do it. We have to do it because if we can't take care of ourselves, how are we going to take care of everyone else around us? Absolutely. 
So here's what's really crazy that I've now learned about breast cancer that I didn't know then or ever is that I thought breast cancer is breast cancer because I am naive and have never thought about it before. It turns out saying breast cancer is like saying sports. And then there are different, you know, basketball, football, softball underneath it. So my specific type of breast cancer is aggressive and it, it exists differently. It's not fueled by hormones. I didn't know those things. I also didn't know that one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. I had no idea it was that many people. Yeah, no idea. And most of the breast cancer diagnosis have nothing to do with family history. Like they're at random. Mine, as it turns out, I told you about my grandfather. What I kind of skipped over is my father passed away when I was little. He was in his mid-20s and he passed away from colon cancer. And so I've been proactive my whole life. I've had two colonoscopies because that's my family history. And I've brought it up to multiple doctors. And let's be clear, colon cancer for someone in their mid-20s, like that's super random. Like that doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense. I was always told that that was just a like a freak of nature thing. So as it turns out, my cancer was not because of outside influence. Mine is because of the BRCA1 gene mutation that I inherited from my father that he inherited from his grand or from his father. And we assume that also my great grandfather had it as well. So didn't know that we all had that. And now we do. So we get to be proactive if Elsie ends up having it. Wow. So what happened? Okay. So you, you go in that morning and then you end up having Elsie. And then where do you go from there? Like you sure. have, you're a new mom. And like, what even happens next? What did you do? So I have a lot of things on my plate at this point, because I told you I'm a business owner. So in the parking lot that morning, I call one of my vendors who helps me in some client services things. And I said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, listen, I don't have time to be emotional about this. So you need to cry after we get off the phone. I have breast cancer. I'm having a baby today. I need you to email all the clients and say, I'm don't tell them why. Just say, my baby's coming today. Everything's fine. Um, I'm taking two weeks off for maternity leave. Because as a business owner, I was thinking, oh, I'll take three weeks and go low key. Then I'll be able to you know, work again. And honestly, I probably could have done that. So I'm managing a business in the middle of this. So that was on my brain. But to get back to all of it, Dr. Frame came the very next day after Elsie was born. And my first meeting about cancer was in my hospital room. And he had all of these papers and he drew diagrams to explain it. And what I thought was really neat is he left all the notes with me. So I didn't have to worry about taking notes. So I could just absorb it and kind of be in shock and then read it later. That was a really awesome move by him. Mm-hmm. And he said, do not worry about cancer today. You are completely off all week. Your only job this week is to be a mom. And we'll start on Monday. He said, I will personally book all of your appointments. I didn't even know what that meant. It turns out I had, I think it was seven or eight appointments the next week. I couldn't drive because I had a C-section, by the way. So I'm just at the mercy of those around me. And as a super independent person, that was probably the most brutal right off the bat is that I have all of this wild stuff going on around me, but I can't even just like drive myself to anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I looking back, I mean, this is common, try not to like get emotional about this, but I probably am. I know now that the reason that they gave me that week is because they didn't like, there was a really strong possibility that that was going to be my only week to just be a mom. 
like ever. Triple negative breast cancer is really aggressive. And for how large my tumor was, it does not make sense that it had not spread. We didn't know anything about it except that. So the next week um, at seven, she was seven days old. So I had my mom and aunt took me to get a PET scan. If you're unfamiliar with PET scans, that includes radiation, which means I had to hand over my seven day old baby to my husband. And I was at that point going to be the most dangerous thing to her. So I had to quarantine from her. That week I had a PET scan, a mug of heart scan to make sure my heart was even healthy enough to have chemo. I had a mammogram with a fully engorged breast. Super fun. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> listen, if I can do that, no one gets to complain about um, a mammogram ever. Zero percent. Right. Like no way. I had an MRI, which I don't did not know this. I didn't know I didn't really know more than what happens on Grey's Anatomy and what is an M like what happens during an MRI. So basically, if you can think about those elevated dog dishes. You know, they're like kind of, they're elevated and there's like a water bowl and a dog bowl. You uh put, yeah, you put your breasts inside of that basically on your stomach on a cold metal table. And then they put you in the MRI machine. That's the most pain I've probably ever been in because my breasts were engorged, but also I had to lay flat on my C-section incision that was still fresh. That was pretty brutal. Um, And then I had ultrasounds and I had uh, chemo one-on-one, which is like a mandatory class you have to go through. It was wild. So I will tell you, I still struggle because I am so human that when I see women share how hard the newborn stage is, or they kind of brush off or complain about how hard it is to just like exist those first few weeks out of after childbirth, I know that that is true. I know that that is hard. Your hormones are crashing. You have this baby and you don't even like, what do you do with this brand new baby? You've never had a baby before. Like there was no Mm -hmm. class, right? You just like, I would give anything to just have those basic struggles. But instead, you know, I started chemo three weeks to the day that I met Dr. Frame on that Friday where he did the biopsy. And this chemo, it's called the red devil on the streets. It's like, it's, it's street name. And oh it's gosh. because it's it's literally red. Um, they can't put it. You have to have a port access to even have it because if it gets on your skin, it just destroys it. But I would have hot flashes because of, because of it, and because that they put me in menopause, they gave me a shot to shut down my ovaries. Which my gosh, pregnancy to menopause and like a week and a half that was brutal. Yeah, and so I would sweat out this like red tinted sweat, and I would wake up to this newborn crying, but I'm covered in chemo. And I'd have to take a shower before I could even touch her. So there are all of these obstacles that looking back, I'm like, holy cow, how is that a thing? There was no handbook for that. Like that was the most insane thing I've ever, it doesn't even make sense, but wow, that's what we went through. So, I mean, it happens, we're here. And I think what was crazy, it was like for like a half a day, it was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I'm such, I'm so special in a bad way. I have a newborn and a cancer. Do you know how many people have newborns and cancer, specifically breast cancer? I don't know the exact numbers, but like, I bet you could find 10 to 12 on Instagram without hardly trying like right now. Who currently have? No, they find me. I think because I've put my story out there and I'm happy to answer any of their questions, but they'll slide into my direct messages. Like there are, like it happens. I thought getting cancer and a newborn on the same day was unique. My friend Maria 
it literally happened to her like a few months later, cancer and a newborn. I didn't, I met her because of Instagram, but I thought that that would be the hardest. Like, I think now the hardest would be being pregnant and your baby's not old and not far enough along to be delivered and you go through chemo while you're pregnant. Like, oh Mm. my gosh, like, I can't even imagine how hard that must be. So, yeah, yeah, don't recommend it. So, what I'm saying, (laughs) yeah, my mind is like so blown right now. We want to thank Faithful Counseling for sponsoring today's episode. I am a huge believer in counseling through every season of life, even when things are mostly going okay. I just think it is extremely helpful. And that is where Faithful Counseling comes in. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They are a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling who would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you are seeking a mental health professional who is a practicing Christian, then Faithful Counseling may be a great option for you. It's not a crisis line and it is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in Faithful Counseling's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. And I know that that is so true for us living rurally. Their service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You will get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Faithful Counseling is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is also available. Faithful Counseling wants you to start living a happier life today. You can visit their website and read so many testimonials that are posted daily. Visit faithfulcounseling.com slash boldly pursuing and join the over half a million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. A special offer for boldly pursuing listeners is you also get 10% off of your first month at Faithful Counseling. Again, just go to faithfulcounseling.com slash boldly pursuing. And once again, we want to say thank you to Faithful Counseling for sponsoring this episode. And now back to our episode. Okay, I keep thinking, have you ever heard that saying that's like right from your scars, not your scabs? Have you heard that? I have not. Okay, so I have seen it floating around Instagram a few times and I disagree with it because I'm my view is I'm like, no, I'm not going to wait for my pain to be like polished and neat and tidy before I allow it to be used to help someone else. And mm-hmm. I feel like you are the perfect example of this too because you I mean, you like you said you're known for sharing the real real but you mm-hmm. absolutely did not have to so like what made you say i'm going through all of this and i am going to be so vulnerable and share like no holding back like i mean you just laid it out there what made you do that i started searching for someone who was a long term survivor of triple negative breast cancer and as it turns out search results only favor worst case scenario. And I could not find anyone. I couldn't find anyone um, who was five years, 10 years, 15 years out. And it crushed me. Mm -hmm. And I now know, I believe there are quite a few women who are out there, but I think it's like how our grandpa's great grandpa's came back from war and never wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. They wanted to leave it there. And I think that's the case with a lot of cancer survivors. And I thought, no, like, what do I have to lose? Like, 
no. So I just started writing and people started reaching out to me and saying, Hey, I was diagnosed when my, my daughter was born. She's 22 now. And I was like, wait, hold on a second. You do exist and you can find me. And I also didn't know what to expect during cancer treatment. I do know that the movies and TV shows really romanticize cancer treatment. That sounds so messed up. And it is like, don't show me some bald woman who also still has her eyebrows. Cause that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not true. That's it's odd in an odd way. It's like, false advertising. And this is going to sound messed up. And I know it is that so many people and they meant it. And I know they meant it kindly, but they would say, Oh, I guess you're going to lose that baby weight quickly. Cause you know, chemo, right? (gasps) Oh my gosh. Right. And because in the movies you get really skinny, that totally happens. Well, the first chemo drug, it for sure helped me drop weight because I got mouth sores and I basically couldn't swallow water. And that's not an exaggeration. The the only time my husband's ever made me cry in my entire life, he said, Brooke, eat the mashed potatoes. And I totally cried because I couldn't. Like I couldn't eat the mashed potatoes. He still feels terrible about it. Like I just was crushed. I was like, I can't eat the mashed potatoes. Anyway, I got so skinny. Like my, my leggings were too big. Like how does that even happen? It's never happened in my life. But the second chemo that I went on, man, that stuff made me look like Violet from Willy Wonka. Like I'm still working (laughs) through that. Like it was not, I don't mean that. And like, like I know I do factually mean that I shared pictures. I shared the reel. go scroll. You'll find them. I like my eyelids were swollen. There were parts of me that I didn't even know could be swollen that were swollen. I was like, this is not like the movies. And I thought someone needs to see this. Because the doctors mm-hmm. sure aren't giving you a heads up about it. They're not going to tell you this part because they don't want you to take on stress before you need to. But there are those of us in the world who need to know what's up ahead. Like, tell me what's going to happen so I can mentally prepare for it as best mm-hmm. I can. So I just started sharing it. And like the more I shared those pictures, the more people were like, yeah, I feel seen. That is what I looked like when I went through chemo. That is what you're going to look like. So I just kept doing it. I don't know. Just yeah. kept working. Wow. Okay. So tell us. Tell us where you're at now. You just passed the two-year mark, right? Yes, the two-year mark of diagnosis. So my daughter is two, which is amazing. Did I send pictures of us from our family photo shoot to my oncologist and my surgeon, Dr. Frame? Text message? Yes, I did. And I will continue (laughs) to do that every year. Uh I hope that it annoys them, but also they love it. Also, they probably regret giving me their personal cell phone numbers. That's on them. (laughs) So... I have no treatment. Like I'm just living right now. So my appointments, my check-ins are every three months with my oncologist, every six months with my surgeon. And I'm just kind of out here living in the wild, wild west because I'm sure everyone's seen the the commercials about drugs that you could take for breast cancer, like prescriptions. Mm -hmm. None of those are for me. Um, The type of breast cancer that I had, or I guess you could still say have, maybe, I don't know, whatever my diagnosis Science really has, it's starting to show up for it, but there's more science and research needed because it's so aggressive. There are not a lot of options. So because it's not driven by hormones, taking hormone blockers, which are a lot of those medications, it doesn't do anything for me. So what they do for triple negative breast cancer is they don't even preventatively scan you. It's just, we'll scan you or do tests if it's needed, if the symptoms show up. So really, it's really, it's pray big and cross your fingers. I don't know if we touched on this, but if you're wondering, a lot of people are or do wonder, 
So I had the entire breast cancer treatment buffet. And when I say all of it, I mean all of it. So I started with the C-section and then I had chemo, which lasted like five months, I think. In the middle of that, I had a staph infection from where they tested my lymph nodes and it didn't have time to heal before I started chemo. So it never healed. So I just mm. had an open incision for five months, which was super sexy. Oh super my gosh. sexy. I got the shingles in there because apparently having a newborn and chemo is stressful. Then I had a double mastectomy. So I had a breast amputation. Love that. I had partial reconstruction. So I had expanders for a while where they stretch out your skin. I had radiation just as the pandemic started. So super locked down during radiation, which was fun. Um, that was probably the most dehumanizing part mm -hmm. of the entire thing. It was just very mechanical and cold and sterile. And during chemo, you have these amazing warm and fuzzy nurses who just make everything feel better. And during radiation is kind of the polar opposite of that. It was mentally tough. Because of BRCA, BRCA1, I had a hysterectomy that included like everything, uterus, ovaries, fallopian tubes, cervix, all gone. So I'm officially a golden girl. Um, yeah. I like to think I'm my clapbacks are stronger than Dorothy. And <laughs> probably I'm probably on my best days just as mean as Sophia. So that's like my happy medium spot. Oh gosh. I feel like that's like a really good like I get it now. I get why they're so like angry because they're hot and they live in Miami. Like they're why you should live in like Wisconsin. They chose poorly. <laughs> and then I had reconstructions. I have little fake, very expensive breasts and they're real to me, but their implants. So that was the best. It turns out people have a lot of opinions on that. That was the best choice for me and what I was able to do. So that's what I chose. But there are lots of reconstruction options. So now I'm just on the other side of working to get healthy again. Your body, you come out on the other side, they just kind of like spit you out like a car wash and they're like, well, have fun. See what happens. Oh. And then you're just like over there in menopause with arthritis. You're like going through awkward hairs phases, which have been fun. Like I really like the Jimmy Neutron phase. That was cool. <laughs> um, like I, I'm in the like Rachel from Friends phase right now with like a, a little flippy situation. So it's been fun, but I'm just trying to work on getting healthy again and control what I can. And to keep reoccurrence at bay, the only things you can control are a healthy body weight and consistent exercise and lowering your stress levels. That's pretty much it. And so I said, I talked about the steroids and the chemo, like you, girl, you, you follow me on Instagram. You saw, mm -hmm. I shared it. I was mm -hmm. real big. Like, and <laughs> when you're menopause, dropping the, those LBs, not super easy as it turns out, not a fun yeah. experience I'm having over here. So that's, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. Just momming and working and trying to make sure cancer doesn't come back. Right. So I know one of the things that you talk a lot about is like pivoting gracefully. So do you yes. want to touch on that for a minute? Because I feel like that relates, I mean, to all of us, you know, in different seasons of life. Yes. So I think what plays into pivoting to kind of tee it up is a lot of feedback I got in person, direct messages, comments was, you're so positive. You're so, uh, you're so inspirational, which that's, I'm not trying to be inspirational, but I feel like inherently, like that's just who I am is just like a, see the, the sunny side up. And mm -hmm. I'm an Enneagram five, so I'm reasonable. I probably shouldn't be that way. But what I found is I've gone through some pivots in my life that sometimes we choose to pivot on our own. And sometimes life chooses on us and we don't get that, we don't get that choice. And so 
I feel like this cancer and a baby at the same time. These were two big pivots like led up to this. And I was at the right place at the right time with the right guy, the right job, the right location, the right family, all of the things. And there were times where I had, I pivoted, like I left corporate America where I was living in Nashville and flying back and forth to Boston almost every other week to work on this big international client. And I chose to pivot and move back to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, like I got, you know, reunited with my childhood best friend and now we're married. And then sometimes life pivots on us and gives us a cancer diagnosis. And when that happens, we don't really get an option in that. Like I can't be like, no, thanks. Unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> I'd like to not thank you. Right. And I think pivoting, like when it's life's pivoting on us. It's how we react to the situation. Like, what do we do here? And do you know what? It would have been really, really, really easy for me to just sulk about it and be the worst possible version of myself and to spiral and do... Listen, it is healthy and normal to go to the dark, twisty place when you're in a season like that. I've I've been there. Like I've thought of every possible worst case scenario. And I know that that's still a possibility. But what I did see and pivoting and this pivot happened and how I followed through with it is, man, I made everyone my best friend. And I was like, if I'm going to be here, I want to make sure everyone's having a good time. That's what I did. I just started talking to people and having a good time. And I was like, listen, we didn't shoot. You chose to be here because you like applied for the job and you want to be an oncology nurse, but you deal with a really hard job every day. So I'm going to make sure that when I'm here, you're having your best day possible. So that means every Friday, good day. Mm. Radiation, by the end of radiation, which was five weeks every single day, I walked in the building and they were like, this is during COVID, by the way, there are masks there, everything. They'd be like, hey, Brooke, Brooke's here, like in the lobby of the medical center. And I was just making ripples wherever I was going. And because of the pandemic, really, my doctors got me into where they were starting to shut down places and not take new patients because they didn't know what was happening with the pandemic. So they got me started early on radiation just to get me in the door. And so I ended up going to a place that there were a lot of older men also going to a lot of like prostate cancer. So I was like, here's the, here's this like young girl, just like hip hopping around being like, Hey, Johnny, how many more days do you have today? And by the end, there's this one man, he wanted to hug me so bad, but he couldn't because of COVID. And he was like, you made my days so much better. Oh gosh. And then there was just like this part of it where I was like, you know what? I saw this meme once that it says, do not say that someone lost their battle with cancer. Like say at best, it was a draw. And I thought about that every time. I was like, listen, if I'm going to go out this way, you better believe it's going to be a fireworks show. Like I'm mm. going to make sure everyone remembers interacting with me. Like, and not like a, I hate when people say you're a fighter or you're so strong. You don't really have a choice. It's like being mm-hmm. drafted. You didn't decide you wanted to go to, to war. That wasn't something you like dreamed of when you were a little, little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like, well, if I'm here, what can I do with it? What can I do with the cards that I'm dealt? So that's just really been my outlook on it. And I think that is applicable to if you're given a really terrible diagnosis or just in life. Like maybe you thought being a stay-at-home mom would be different. Maybe you thought you were going to be like a Pinterest mom, but it turns out you're not even an Amazon mom. You're like a Walmart <laughs> pickup mom, you know? Yes. Uh-huh. You're like, this is, this is like the best I can do. And like, that's great. 
but maybe you lean into it a little bit more. Make the male lady like your best friend. If that's the only human you see every day, like now you have like, that's a date actually, you know? Right. Yeah. I just think that if we look at it in a little bit different perspective, maybe we can. And I know that's not always easy. I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. There were days like, let's go to the real, real, like, I know that I made Instagram on Fridays during chemo. I mean, it was funny. My husband went with me and like he was the everyone's favorite, but I for sure woke up crying every morning and mm-hmm. I said, I don't want to go. And my husband pulled off my blankets and he said, but we're going to go though. And it wasn't easy, but it's possible. Yeah. I just, I can see from the outside looking in, like the way you share the real, real. And then also the way that you just bring in the humor and the grace. And it's like, it's so nice for people to see both because I feel like sometimes you have someone who's their only sharing the hard part and that's fine. And then you have people who they're like, no, this is fine. Everything's fine. And you only get one (laughs) side, you know, sometimes you only get one side, whichever side it may be. So to see someone sharing both is just, it's like really refreshing. And it's like, wow, I feel like you don't see that a lot. And I think that's why so many people have been drawn to you and are just like, yeah, I I feel seen. I feel related to. So Mm -hmm. that's just, I I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. So when people ask me why I continue to share your story, like I'm not in the chemo chair anymore. And I do think it's hard for some of my followers. They want me to still be sick, which is kind of strange and to accept, I get it. Like they wanted to cheer for me, but like y'all can still cheer for me. I just am changing poopy diapers now. So that's fun. Right. When someone asks me why I continue to do this, like why, why is this this hill? Like you're not an advocate. You're not the mascot for cancer. You're right. I'm not, but I am the mascot for women who need to advocate for themselves. That's fine. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't, I didn't fill out an application to do that, but I can do that. And I know that no one has to. No, if you don't want to share your story online, you don't have to. It's mm-hmm. you get to choose. But I'm okay with it. Like this can be something I can do. I feel like God has given me this opportunity and I'm gonna do it. And there are so many screenshots saved in my phone of women who said I went to my doctor's appointment today. I scheduled my appointment. And this one is the most heartbreaking. A woman recently sent me a message that said, I followed you from the beginning. I remember the day that you were diagnosed. I was diagnosed on Tuesday. She was Mm. with me the whole time and now she's doing it. And that crushes me. But also she knows what's up ahead now where Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And that makes it better for me. That makes it seem like maybe it's worth it because we can't stop the statistics of one in eight women, but maybe we can get people diagnosed a little earlier. And so therefore, maybe they don't have to go through all of the, the whole breast cancer treatment buffet that I did. And maybe the prognosis is a little better. Maybe. Gosh, I have goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. That one, that one just like crushed me when I saw that. I was like, how is that? How is that possible? And then the other part that's so, so hard for me, and this is where I go to my dark twisty place is that like triple negative breast cancer specifically. And I know all breast cancers, this is just my situation. There are people who have the same treatment plans and similar diagnosis and their outcome is not the same. The chemo doesn't work. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work for the exact same type of cancer. And that's why more research is needed. But also that's why there's, I'm just slapped in the face with this perspective of it could have not worked for me, Mm -hmm. but for some reason it did. And so now I want to give people hope that if you're really lucky and I can't make any promises, 
but your hair is going to come back and you might live a whole day without thinking about cancer. That could happen. It's possible. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Brooke, is there anything that you did not get to share with us that you want us to know or anything else that you want to share? Yeah. If someone's listening to this podcast and either someone in your life went through cancer and maybe they, or you, or you in the future, and you don't have to do cancer like I did, there's no right or wrong way. I don't want you to think that there's this like high standing pedestal that you can only be a good little patient if you are happy all the time, if you're funny, if you're sharing on Instagram. Is not the case. That's just the route that I chose to take. And you can do however best works for you. You don't have to share with anyone if you don't want to. If you get a good wig and you learn how to draw your eyebrows on, no one might not even know. (laughs) I do think though, there is such a power in connecting with people. I like to call it your cancer pledge class, which is people who are diagnosed and around the same time that you are with the same type of cancer. There is so much power in being able to send someone a selfie that says, I look like a potato today. (laughs) And they send a picture back and they're like, me too. And there's something about this going through it together that's very strange. And social media really allows that to happen. Yeah. So. Okay. I I seriously cannot thank you enough for coming on today and just being willing to share your journey and your story. And please, please tell everyone where they can go follow you because everyone listening, you need to go follow Brooke. Sure. So I am rural, gone, urban basically everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Specifically Instagram. That's where I tend to have the most fun. Yeah. Instagram stories. Are they not just like the most fun? I love them. I feel like I get to spend so much of everyone's day with them. And living in, you know, rural America, sometimes it can be really isolating. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't just hop over to someone's house on a Tuesday, but on Instagram, you're like, oh yeah, that's my friend. And what's really cool is when they become your actual friend. Yes. Isn't that the best? That's so cool. Okay. Well, Brooke, thank you again. I just, I am so grateful that you, you took this time to come on here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to connect with you. Oh, of course. 